Welcome to Winchester Vineyard Church Podcasts. We are people who are going to know Jesus better and bringing hope and life into our communities. Coming up is our Beautiful One Conference on Saturday the 28th of March, a one-day conference for women. With worship, teaching and time to be, our guests include Simon Ponsonby, Beth McNeil and others. You can sign up now at winvin.org.uk forward slash beautiful one. We hope you find this message challenging and encouraging. Well, we're excited today because um, David and Mary are here and uh, I'm going to talk for a bit and then uh, I'm going to hand over to them in a little while and they're going to share a little bit about what they're going to be doing next. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) It's my keyboard. I'm not going to do that. and um, they're going to be sharing a bit about what they're going to do next, and we're going to pray for them. But before we get to that, um, I want to just uh, reflect a little bit on who we are becoming. Who are we becoming? You'll remember, if you were here last week, that uh, we were reflecting on a new year and a new decade, and I posed this question, who are we becoming? Who am I becoming? And we've got that whole reset month uh, program of events that we can think about in relation to ourselves. And then, who are we becoming as a church? Who are we becoming as a church? And I put this quote up uh, last week. Who you're becoming is far more important than what you're doing, and yet it's what you're doing that determines who you are becoming. And so there's sort of a, a time, this is a natural time to reflect and to think as a whole church community. Who have we become? Who are we becoming? What does God want us to become? And not just reflect on it, but actually do something about it. Who am I becoming and what am I going to do about it? And so um, I was thinking specifically, and I'm going to be thinking for this whole month, on what it looks like to be an authentic Christian community as a whole church. Who are we becoming? And we looked at this passage in Acts. And if you've got a Bible, you might want to turn it up because I'm going to look at another passage um, in a couple of chapters later. And I'd love you to have that open as we uh, work through this morning's um, talk. And this is called The Fellowship of the Believers. And I'm going to read it again because it's a beautiful, succinct little description description of community and church and family life for the new believers straight after Pentecost, the early church, the first church in Jerusalem. And it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we read about that. We read this passage last week. And I kind of summarized this whole passage down into three headings. And I talked about these, each one of them briefly last week. That This describes a worshiping community. It describes a spirit-filled community, and it describes a generous community. And we have some things to learn from this, and I wanted to pick up these themes over the, today and the next couple of weeks. And today, my question is, who are we becoming in the area of generosity? Who are we becoming in the area of generosity? And what I noticed and I loved about that verse is front and center, right in the middle of that verse, first in, that, in that passage, verse 44 And verse 45, it says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And what I noticed is 
that those two verses sit really comfortably alongside the descriptions of the worship life of the church, teaching, prayer, communion, you know, demonstrations, and alongside demonstrations of the Holy Spirit's power, miracles, and signs and wonders, and alongside descriptions of how the church would meet in large gatherings and in small gatherings. And the thing about the book of Acts is, I don't know if you know about the book of Acts, it was written by Luke, the same Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And in fact, it's effectively the second, the, the two, although they're broken up in our Bible, the two books are effectively one book, two halves of the same book. So Luke writes this whole thing, which we call the Gospel of Luke, and it's the story of Jesus. And then he writes the whole of the next chapter, the whole, well, the whole second half of the book, and it's the story of the church. And so many scholars call it Luke Acts, and they think of it as one book. And the thing about the book of Acts, as, as Luke wrote it, is that it's an action book. You know, there's a fast-paced narrative. It starts in Jerusalem, but it rapidly spreads out regionally and nationally and globally and beyond. It, it describes how the gospel spreads like wildfire, how there's rampant witnessing and evangelism, multiple encounters with the Holy Spirit, supernatural miracles, powerful anointed preaching, many, many, many people turning to God, discipleship happening, church planting happening. It's dramatic and it's action-packed. And this passage is one of only three short passages in the early part of, of Acts where the author Luke actually just pauses in that fast-paced narrative to just stop for a few verses and describe what's actually happening, describe the community life for the new believers in the early church. And the second one of those passages is just two chapters later in Acts 4. And I would love us to read... Oh, it's gone. Where is it? Have you got the Acts 4 passage? Sorry. Can you, if, you get, if, you, if you can, can you put that up for me? There we go. Thank you, Becca. Um, Acts 4, 32 to 37. So again, let's read this together. And this is my key text for this morning. And it says, all the believers, and it sounds a bit similar, but it isn't quite the same. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. And Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And it's just worth noting what goes on in the book of Acts between that first passage that I read in chapter 2 and this passage in chapter 4. The, the narrative describes the healing of a lame man who was begging at the temple gate. Miraculous healing. Get up and walk. The preaching of the gospel powerfully in the temple courtyards. It describes Peter and John being hauled up in front of the authorities and challenged by what they were doing. And it describes a prayer meeting where the Holy Spirit was so powerful that the room shook. Just the usual fortnight in church, yeah? And I'm really struck by the way that Luke chose to tell those stories and to bookend them with these descriptions of community life, where he emphasized just how it is that this community actually lived, and with, with a big emphasis on the way they handled their money and possessions. It seems like Luke is trying to say or show that this whole value of generosity is right up there right up there alongside the power encounters and the healing and the miracles and the worship and the small groups and the prayer and the persecution, it's a massive part of community life. 
And they're actually, he's actually just describing principles that they all heard, well, not all of them, but those who were around heard Jesus teach. This kind of teaching is countercultural to the Greek and Roman world that they are living in. That, their world has a completely different philosophy and worldview, as does ours. It was even countercultural to the Jewish community. I'll say that again, it was even countercultural to the Jewish community. You see, we had Matt Hyam here last year, and he did a lecture on Deuteronomy. And he showed us how in Deuteronomy, God lays out this whole principle about how it is that the community of the people of God are meant to make sure that nobody among them has any need. And even if how there's enough land apportioned to everybody, and how even if somebody gets into debt, there's a mechanism, a system for helping them out. And every seven years, debts are released. And every 50 years, jubilee year, and slaves are released. And everything goes back. And God provided for everybody in the community. And yet, tragically... As Matt shared with us, there's no actual record of the Jews actually living that out. There's no record, there's no written historical record of them actually following through, through to a whole jubilee year, what God has determined for the, the law and the way it should go. And so, talking about this passage in Acts, Tom Wright, who's a biblical scholar, is saying, Luke, this is Tom Wright's words, he is making the striking, controversial claim that the early Christian movement was, in effect, the true covenant community that God had always intended to set up. That's a bold claim, but I like it. It seems to me that there might be a direct connection between the way that the early church lived out their lifestyle of kingdom generosity and the way in which God's Holy Spirit was powerfully demonstrated among them. The miraculous healings. The gospel transforming hundreds and thousands of lives. And right in the middle of it is this beautiful description of a generous community. And just for the next 10 to 15 minutes, Max, I want to take, I want to just look at the five hallmarks of a generous church that I see described in this passage. So if we want to be people who are becoming a generous community, these are questions we need to be asking ourselves and thinking about. What are we seeing here? Because as Joe described in her blog this week that you may have read on the e-press, if we actually want to see things change, we actually need to change what we do. You know, it's that, that brilliant, brilliant quote, isn't it? I think Joe attributed it to um, Einstein. I don't know who it's attributed to. But the definition of insanity is doing the same things over again and expecting different results. And so while we're asking ourselves, who am I becoming and who do I want to become, we also, at the same time, need to be thinking, on what steps do I need to take? So five hallmarks of a generous church, as seen in this passage. Number one, it says they were united in heart and mind. And this seems kind of obvious, but as a church family, we do all need to be going the same way. I don't mean literally living uniform lives, but I mean sharing a common purpose, common aims, common values. You might have come to church for a number of reasons. Maybe we like the coffee here. Maybe we like this style of service or the music or the warm welcome. Maybe our friends come here. Or maybe we chose this church because it's close to where we live or we like the parking or something, I don't know. Whatever else might have brought us here, our unity as a church family primarily centers on Jesus and on how we are choosing to become his disciples, his apprentices, how we are choosing to be with him, to become like him, and to do the things he did. And I don't say this as bluntly as I'm going to do now. 
I don't say it very often, as bluntly as I'm going to do now. But my assumption is that if you have come to this church and you want to be part of this family, it's because primarily you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus. You want to grow as an apprentice to, as a disciple to Jesus. That's an assumption that I make as a leader. I don't often say it this bluntly, but I do make that assumption. So whatever else is going on in our lives, whatever else we think or believe, whatever else we've experienced, despite the difficult circumstances we may well be living through, I assume that we're here because we want to choose to put Jesus first in our lives, even despite difficult circumstances. And even if that means making some tough decisions about relationships, money, marriage, lifestyle, identity, behavior, or at least I assume that you're on that journey and you're looking to see what it is that it means to put Jesus first in our lives. Would you agree with me? Because sometimes, honestly, sometimes we have to have that conversation with people, and sometimes it feels like that's not where people are at. Just occasionally. So I'm just, it's, a, it's an assumption that I make. And I also assume that those of us who have made Winchester Vineyard our home church have chosen to do because the way that we do church here, you know, our vision and values, because that resonates with you. And we have tried, um, believe me, we've tried, no, I don't mean that. Um, <laughs> we have tried to be intentional about communicating what we feel that God is calling us to do and the way he's calling us to do it. We do our best to communicate that in a number of ways. You know, if you're uh, new here, Amy's just said we've got a, another welcome meal next week. But before you get on a bus, what do you do before you get on a bus? You look at the front and see where it's going. If I stand in town in Winchester and I want to go home on the bus, I have to check that um, the number three, or in this case the number seven, I couldn't find a picture of a number three. I, I can only get on a number three or a number seven in Winchester to get back to where I live. I could get on a number five, and then I could see it going to Badger Farm, and I could say, hey, can you go to Hurstop, please? And the guy would go, no, mate, you should have checked the front. I can't get on a number three and then say, oh, can you, go to, um, can you just drop me off by the hospital, please? It doesn't work that way. If you're part of this church, I assume it's because you want to go in the same direction that we're heading and that you've taken time to consider whether or not you want to be here. And if you have, you've got on board. It doesn't matter whether you've leapt on board and run to the back or you've shuffled on board and just managed to sit down at the front. It doesn't matter. The important thing is you've chosen to go where we're going. And I haven't been around many churches where there was disunity, but from what I've heard, it's really not much fun. And it usually leads to, to death and not to life. And so if your main reason for being here is not because you're trying to follow Jesus or because you particularly like where we're going or agree with the vision and values or the way that Joe and I or the team lead the church, then ultimately, if you stay here and you continue in that mindset, you're not going to thrive. And you're probably not going to grow in your faith. And you'll probably feel a bit out of sorts anyway. And actually, you won't be able to join in with the unity and purpose and all that God wants to do here. But on the flip side, if you do know that all those things, that you have bought in, you've given your time and you've given your energy and you've committed with relationships and you've given your money as well, then certainly you will experience a sense of unity and purpose. And you will find that as you grow and you experience more of God's grace as described in this passage. And actually, you'll be contributing to the kingdom community here, the life that God wants to express. So unity of heart and mind is really important. And it's important for all of us to think about why it is that we're part of this church and who we are becoming in relation to the church and how on board we are with the vision and values and with the intentional discipleship track that the church is trying to proceed down. 
Do we know what our priorities are? And if the answer, do you, do you know what our priorities around here? Are you happy to give to this? And if the answer is yes, brilliant. And if the answer is not really sure yet, then find out more. If you are new, come to the welcome lunch. If you're not new, just come and talk to us anyway. A generous church is not just united, but it's open-handed with possessions. And as we follow Jesus, we do have a choice to make about how we handle our money and our stuff. You see, our culture attaches so much value, doesn't it, to wealth and possessions, to lifestyle and comfort, to accumulating the latest gadgets and the latest beautiful things. And we can, if we're not careful, derive so much of our own personal identity and value and worth from the stuff that we have. I see this at my kids' school all the time. The relentless drive to have the latest pair of trainers, the most up-to-date phone, the latest laptop, the, most, the best gaming console, the latest Bluetooth earbuds, <laughs> tech or whatever it is. And actually, let's be honest, it's not just the kids, is it? <laughs> you know, it's all of us. We grow up, it just becomes cars and holidays and homes and possessions and lifestyle choices. And there's nothing wrong with the stuff Stuff is neutral. There's nothing wrong with money and wealth. Money is neutral. But it's the value that we as a society collectively have placed on that that causes us problems when we're trying to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. It was the same in the days of the early church, which is why this description is there, because it was so radical and countercultural the way they lived, this completely unselfish attitude. And so what does that look like for us today? What does it look like to freely loan out our possessions. In my house, it means letting go of quite a few of my jumpers that my teenage daughter keeps stealing. <laughs> I might be anal about this, but am I the only dad who has labelled their charging leads and headphones in their house <laughs> with my name on them? Because I want them back. Because <laughs> I'm, I, mean, I don't mind lending them out, but I just want them back because I want to use them. Sorry, did I get a bit too emotional then? <laughs> I know someone who used to loan out books, but he would always write his name in the front. I knew someone else who would loan out books, and he would keep a notebook of who he'd loaned them to and, what, and when he'd loaned them. And if I'd borrowed a book from him three months later, I'd get a call. Have you still got my book? You know? And that's fine. It's the small stuff, but it belies an attitude, doesn't it? How do we feel about our homes? How do we feel about opening up our homes and sharing our food and sharing our meal tables and lending out our books and our records and our DVDs? How do we feel about letting someone else borrow our car, for example? How do you feel about lending your car out? But what if they crash it? Well, if we are going to be defined by our stuff, we're going to be run into real problems. It's really not going to be easy to live this thing out about how we're free and we're happy to, free to share our possessions. So question, how are you, who are you becoming in relation to your stuff and your possessions? How precious are we about it? How much are we defined by it? Think about the most precious thing you have at home, the thing that you would guard with your life, okay? And think about how you would feel if somebody else borrowed that, yeah? Just a question, something to reflect on. Third thing, a generous church experiences resurrection grace. Now that sounds like a funny phrase, but that's what's described right in the middle of this passage. Right in the middle of all of this kind of giving and possessions and money, Luke says, um, I'll read it again, what does he say? In this translation he says, and with great power 
the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. You see, the preaching of the gospel, the testifying to the the death and resurrection of Jesus, that's central to what they're doing. And it's a very short phrase, and grace was powerfully at work in them. Grace was upon them all. But that's a description I would love to apply to this church, that grace is upon us. And you will hear, to be fair, you will hear the story of Jesus here most weeks, all weeks, I hope. Somehow, one way or another, you'll hear it in the songs we sing or in the way that we preach the Bible. Because the truth is that the source of our generosity is God anyway. None of, any of, none of the money or the stuff that we have comes from us. We model our lives on Jesus' generosity. He's the ultimate in generous giving. We owe everything we have to him. He gave us his son. He died on the cross. Grace was on them all. And grace, in this case, means favor and kindness. The unmerited favor and kindness of God, which they didn't deserve, but which was still among them and resting on them. It seems like as a community, God's power was present. It was a distinctive hallmark of community life in the church. Power and presence of God. Not just in the large gatherings and the big worship spaces, but in the homes as they shared food, as they shared communion, as they prayed together, and as they went out and went out and about about their daily lives. And I totally believe that's true for us as well. You see, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that empowers us to go and do the things he did. And as a community, we press into worshipping and celebrating him when we're together like this, and we expect to experience his power and his presence. We expect his presence to come. It's one of our highest worship values, expectation. And it's not just for here, and it's not just for now. It's for later on today when we go home, and it's for tomorrow, and it's for this week in your office, or in your classroom, or in your client meeting, or in your board meeting, or your community group, or your ward, or your care center, or wherever it is that you will be this week. It's for that tricky, difficult conversation you've got to have. It's for that really hard meeting. It's for your friend who's sick. We're, a friend that, we're aware of two very close friends that are really sick right now in hospices in different parts of the country. And um, we found out this news this week about one of them. It's devastating. And we're going tomorrow to visit one of our friends who's in the hospice. And it's that same presence of God and power that I'm experiencing here today as we worship that I am hoping to take with me when we go and pray for our friend in the hospice tomorrow. It's what it means. It doesn't just stay here. And I don't have time to go into this now, but the Bible's very clear that when we give to the work of God, we do experience his blessing. Not necessarily financially, many times with his presence. I would rather have his presence any day than a whole heap of money. Sometimes I think the money would be helpful as well, but... And these words are here for a reason, and I genuinely believe there's this direct connection between the way that we choose to be generous and the way we experience God's presence. Now, the fourth thing here, the fourth hallmark of a generous church is that it cares for those in need. And throughout the Bible, you know, you can read about God's heart for the poor. Um, I love the story about a man called Jim Wallace told, how he and his friends took their Bible, you've probably heard me say this before, and literally, with a pair of scissors, cut out of the Bible any reference to the poor. They cut every single reference out of the Bible, and they found that when they did that, the Bible didn't hold together. 
And he says, and we then went and preached that Bible. They were quite young and radical, and this was in the 70s. He said, we, 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 we went and preached that Bible to right-wing America, and we said, right-wing America, your holy Bible is full of holes because you have forgotten about the poor. And it's a powerful it's a powerful picture, and compassion is a massive part of what we do here. And through the year, we've been able to bless so many people with our incredible ministries of storehouse and food bags and fresh food and soup run and Acts 435 and Hardship Fund. And you know, just before Christmas, we had our toy fair, and uh, there were just two stories, um, testimonies that Jenny sent around. One said, let me just read it to you, and she said, it said, the Barbie castle was taken by a mum for her little girl who has wanted one for ages. But this was totally impossible as the family have hit hard times due to her self-employed husband being out of work after an accident. This lady came in knowing that her child had wanted a Barbie castle for ages and saw one right in the middle of our toy fair. I said, can I really just take that? And we said, yes. Not me, but our team. Isn't that amazing? And the second story had one of the agency workers who came shared that when she went into the hall and saw the toy, she felt so overwhelmed she was reduced to tears. Now, I know that many of you are involved in our compassion ministries one way or the other, and this is a really generous church, and we do really care for those in need. And this is a significant year in compassion, but it's so significant that I want to talk about it next week. <laughs> okay? Um, so I'm going to come back to that, because God has incredible plans for our compassion going forward this year. So last thing I want to say is that a generous church gives their money for central distribution. And you probably knew this was coming, so apologies. The Bible's very comfortable talking about money and resources, even though sometimes we find it a bit more tricky. While the New Testament references prayer around 500 times and faith around 500 times, it talks about money and possessions about 2,000 times. And so apologies if you're a guest today. We don't always talk about money. Apologies if you're one of those people who comes in and thinks, oh, the church, I'll try church again. Hopefully they won't, oh, they're talking about money again. It's not like that. But we are thinking about, if we're thinking about who we're becoming in terms of generosity, then we do have to talk about money and giving. And we here have an incredible story to tell, even from the last four months in our own church family. You see, last autumn, you'll remember, I apologized to you. Because in the two years previously to that, we hadn't really talked about money publicly and I had just acted on the basis that most people here kind of know that the Bible's teaching is clear on giving to the local church, and we just made an assumption that most people were living that out, and we hadn't taken the time to put that in front of you again and just to challenge us to think about it. And many of us were doing that. We are, you are, this is an incredible, generous church. But when I highlighted to you some of the challenges we had, including a specific gap in our budget and the need to replace our roof coming into the winter, as I mentioned last week, we had this incredible heart offering at the end of September, and there was an overwhelmingly generous response. We were able to give away 10 grand to mission and to completely pay for, the, pay for the flat roof to be replaced and to finish the year in credit. And we are so grateful to God for his provision and to you for your generosity. And people gave from their hearts. And some people gave really small amounts, and some people gave incredible amounts. And some people gave their savings. And one little girl gave £1.11 from her pocket money for the church roof. And as a community, we have already expressed and experienced God's generosity and favour and grace. And while we don't have the same kind of challenge this year, I do just at the start of the year want to talk about our giving. Because over the past three or four years, we have actually seen a very slow but steady decrease in our regular unrestricted monthly giving. And there are loads of reasons for this. People have given 
more than generously to our building project, and, and quite a few still are doing so. People have given generously to our mission partners. Um, and I've just mentioned the heart offering. Loads of you are involved in Caris Kids and giving outside of the church and giving to other things. We've been able to do some incredible and amazing things as a church. And there may also be some practical reasons. It may be that, well, I know that it's established church members who have been giving have just moved away. Natural reasons. People's income has reduced. And also some folk have joined the church and haven't necessarily started regular giving straight away. And for some of us who are giving, sometimes we just forget to review it in the light of whatever's going on in our lives. And the reality is that the money that all of us give to the church collectively enables all of us to be the community that we're called to be and to do the things that God is calling us to do. So the money that we give to the church enables us to worship God here every Sunday, practically to heat and light the building, supply coffee and snacks, clean the floor, buy nice chairs, maintain a great PA system and AV, make sure our kids and youth rooms are well-equipped and clean and functional. The money that we give to the church helps us to maintain and manage our building. You know, we're currently experiencing some plumbing issues. It's very boring, but it's not very boring when you're trying to go to the loo. <laughs> so, you know, um, but th this building is used by many people from week to week. Loads of community users come in, Compassion Ministries. We also rent it out to various people. And, all of the, and, and the money that you give helps us to maintain and manage that. The money that you give helps us to pay our staff who oversee and manage the church, manage the church life, and develop teams, and look after admin and operations and groups and home groups and pastoral leadership and youth ministry and children's ministry and students and adults and training courses and life groups and worship teams. It all, it all gets looked after by our teams, and some of our teams are enabled to do that by the money that you give. And lastly, the money that you give enables us to give away generously. And we give well over 10% of our income to other charities, to mission partners, to local initiatives, and to the Vineyard family in the UK. And the truth is that while there are currently no big projects on the horizon, simply to do what we believe God is asking us to do this year will require a 5 to 10% increase in our regular monthly giving during 2020. That's nothing compared to the 100K that we raised in October, but it is important and it is significant. And ultimately, if it doesn't happen, it'll mean that we'll have to make some decisions about cutting back on what we do. So I'm really not panicking about this. God has proved to me again and again and again that he has got this covered, that he is faithful. And I'm not twisting any of your arms about it either because that's not how this works. I'm simply, as your pastor, saying how it is. And I want to invite us, all of us, to go and talk to the Lord in the context of how it is that we become an even more generous people. Not because we're in need, but because we wanted to be defined by our generosity. And I don't know about you, but I am really jealous for the blessings that I'm reading about here in the book of Acts about a community marked with generosity. And so I don't have time to go into any more teaching about that and why it's a good idea to give. I simply want to say that God says, test me in this. He says, test me. It's the only thing he says, test me in. I believe that if we choose to give to God generously from the resources that he has already given us, then there will be a blessing that we can expect in return, that may or may not be financial, but God will always supply our needs. And so if you're someone who does give regularly to the church, well, thank you. We're grateful. We appreciate it. If you haven't updated or reviewed your giving recently, can I encourage you to think about that? Maybe you've recently got a pay rise or you've got a bonus or something, some other income that isn't reflected in your giving. Maybe you want to consider that just before God. And if you're someone who considers this church to be your home church and you don't give regularly, then I'd simply invite you to try it. 
I really, really, really believe that God will honour that decision, even if it feels like a stretch or a risk. That's discipleship for you. We had a word this morning about breaking strongholds, and I just wondered if what the Lord wanted to do this morning was to break people's fear, a stronghold of fear. I wonder if the reason we don't give is because we're afraid that we won't have enough. And I can just want to tell you from my own life that God is so much bigger than all of that. And so if you'd like to know any more about that, come and find us afterwards. And if you want to know more, there's a, there's a leaflet that you can pick up at the back at the info desk, and there's also a giving envelope. And uh, we would love to encourage you to think about making this church the church that you give to, okay? Because this is where your story is, and this is what God is doing here. And because we're wanting to be a generous people. So is the, is the trajectory of our lives here more or less generous? And what steps do we need to take, and what does that look like? I'm pretty much done, so I want to welcome... Um, where's Dave? Dave Leswell. Are you, are, you, are you both coming up, or is it just you? Come on. Come on. Have we got a microphone for them? So thank you for listening to me, and please welcome David and Mary. Now, <clears throat> Thanks, Nigel. Um, Over to you. Yeah. I just, I really like the message. Um, I remember someone once saying, you're never stationary. You're always moving either towards Jesus or away from Jesus. There's no stationary. And so I like, what are we becoming? It's often good to just reflect and say, am I moving still towards Jesus? And uh, I always remember whenever we talk about giving and tithing, uh, being taught myself when I was new to faith at 18 about tithing from a homeless man. Uh, He attended our church. Uh, We were having a meal around a friend's house. And he said, I get my, um, whatever it was, uh, the benefits back then, I get 140 pounds every two weeks. I give my 14 pounds and I never go without. He said, look at me now, I'm eating really well. I'm in a warm house. And for me, that's really humbling. Um, Yeah. If we can have the slides, that'd be great. So, yep, I'll pass over to Mary. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I think lots of you know us or um, have met us before this is David and I'm Mary and we were part of Winvin we moved away seven years ago and I'm thank you for having us back here this morning it's uh, really good to be here I'm so thankful um, just being here has sort of made me reflect on uh, our time when we were here and um, and all that God's done with us since we were here and yeah, we're so blessed by all the friendships that we've um, we've stayed in touch with many of you, and we're so blessed by those ongoing friendships and relationships. So, I just really want to say thank you for having us, and um, we love you, and we we look forward to getting to know um, some of the new faces that we don't know. Yeah, and we've got um, for those of you who don't know, this is Jessica. She's nine months, and we've got three children upstairs in the kids groups as well. So, we are six all together. We've got a photo a little, little bit later on. Uh, yeah, thanks. She loves the microphone. Uh, so we, we live in Cornwall. Uh, I work as a doctor. We've got four children. I'll show you a picture later. But next month, we're moving. We're, we're selling up shop. I've already handed in my notice. And we're moving to Bosnia. Uh, so it's uh, this country um, just below Croatia, along from Italy. You, I don't have time to go into it. I spoke more last year on it. Um, so at the end, the Ottoman Empire came all the way up to kind of Slovenia area. And as a result of that, today you've got about 9 million Muslims in the Balkans, and 2 million of which live in Bosnia. Um, 
And from that people group, there are only about 80 known believers. So 80 people out of 2 million. Um, we are living in a town called Foynitsa, which is just ne near the capital, about an hour away. Not Fojnica, as my friend pronounced it recently, uh, but Foynitsa. Uh, it's a town of, uh, well, first of all, I've got, this is just, we were out there in September. Laura um, came with us. Uh, we've been in and out of country over the last two years, but this has kind of been leading up to us going long term uh, to work. We've we've already seen some great stuff of the kingdom there. Uh, we sort of saw some healings, um, a, a Bible fellowship started, and so we're really excited for that God's got to do there. Um, but really, the the place it, it's amazing. It's beautiful. It hasn't really come on very well since the end of the war. You've still got about forty percent youth unemployment. Um, our friend works full-time. She's university educated, but she earns about 400 euros a month and you know, has to live with her family because that just doesn't support you even there. Um, so this is us. I finally, for those of you who remember, got a nice picture of us. Um, so Eloise is my eldest. She's seven. Hannah's five. Joel is three and won't stop sucking his finger. And Jessica, you've got. So this... This is such a beautiful country. Um, so these are our German friends. Um, actually, there's a group, mixed group here, but Walter, uh, he's uh, a farmer by background. He arrived the year after the war. Um, really, the war devastated this whole region. So there was big factories there, employed about 3,000 people, uh, making furniture, handcrafted, shipped across the world, Yugoslavia, America. The war came and destroyed all of that. So when they arrived, People literally had no source of income, nothing to eat, and only they could live off what they could grow on their land. And so Walter, with his farming background, came and just plowed their land for them for the first two or three years, got them farming, and really made a name for themselves uh, like there in their hour of need. Uh, so they, yeah, they came uh, as a group of three families in 95. They said, we'll be here for 10 years, we'll see X many house churches planted, and then we're gonna go home back to Germany. He said by year eight, they were the only family remaining, and they have continued to faithfully serve there 24 years now. Um, they've had other people come and go, but these are going to be family and teammates for us. Um, really a great, uh, humble, salt-of-the-earth family we're really happy to be with. Um, so this is us in September. We were kind of bringing in the maze, and yeah, it was great, um, and hard work. But uh, this is the town we live in. It's this is the view from our garden. Uh, we've got a house. Uh, we're trying to get out there. Um, so 15,000 people live there, and there are only two believers in the whole town. And come on, we need, let's go. <laughs> um, yeah, some practical things. Um, we, leave, we leave the end of February. I'm driving with Eloise and Hannah. Please pray for that. Uh, it's going to take about four days for us to get there, and Mary will fly with the two younger ones. Um, we, we're about 60% of our monthly support raised, so we're not employed by anyone to be there. Eventually, I hope to get my license there and, and try and find an income with my medical work, but that's at least probably two years off. So in the meantime, at least we're, we're kind of held up by people giving to us, and, and, and quite a few of you do, so I really appreciate that. Um, your tithe is for Winchester Vineyard, but if you feel like you want to support us in that way, that's really helpful. But mainly, we also really want your prayers. Um, so 
every time we're there, we really feel the Lord saying, without prayer, without that kind of shift, we won't see the healings and salvation and the house churches planted and everything we want to see. Um, so we need prayers here, we need prayers there. And so as a partner church, we really, we really value those prayers for us, especially we'll be sending kind of three-minute um, video clips now and then. So just kind of give you a grid for when we pop up on screen. This is who we are. This is where we are. This is what we're doing. Um, we, we really just want to see God's kingdom come, that uh, these people who live really difficult and hard lives um, and quite a hardy bunch, uh, just to have that chance to know that uh, Jesus is the way, uh, the truth, and the life. And there's no other way to the Father except through him. Um, um, I was just going to say, if you do want to, um, one of the ways that you can stay in touch with what we're doing is we'll send out a newsletter every few months. And so if you'd like to receive that, um, some of you already do, but if you don't, then there's a form at the back where you can just leave us your email address. Um, we can also send you details if you do want to support us financially. We've also got some fridge magnets if that's with that photo of us on. If that's something that would help you, remind you to pray for us, then take one of them. Yeah, because we really appreciate your prayers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, sign up at the back and you'll get like a, every two months we're going to send out newsletters just so you can keep up to date with us, praying for us, uh, praying for Foynitsa, for the Bosnian people. So just quickly, if we could put out our hand to Foynitsa, to that town, and would you just bless it. Father God, would you come in power, Lord, would you release your kingdom over uh, the town of Foynitsa and all the surrounding areas, that all those people, God, would have opportunity to know you, that you would break the stronghold uh, of darkness and despair in that place, God, but you would bring your marvelous light, Jesus. Thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and that we pray for all boldness for us and for all the other believers uh, who live in the nation of Bosnia and Herzegovina, that we would have real passion, boldness uh, to share your gospel, and that you would anoint us with your power uh, for miracles, signs, and wonders in Jesus' name. Um, yeah. So I think you're going to pray for us. And so as these guys go, they become kind of global partners. You know, we have a number of global partners around the world. Johnny and Beth, as you will have heard, kind of step down because they're back in the UK. And so the Leswells are taking their place. And so perhaps if you were praying for Johnny and Beth, you might like to transfer your allegiance. Or maybe as you've heard these guys speak, you just think, yeah, I want to be kind of with you in this. Because we can play an incredible part in what God is doing a long, long way away as we pray and as we give. So I'm going to pray to start with for these guys. And I invite you that you might stand with me now as we pray join in with me but also have a, an ear open to see if you feel like God's saying anything specific um, to you for them and then in just a moment when we end our service in a few minutes we're going to ask them to come and stand down here and if you are friends or family or you just feel like you've got a heart for these guys or this part of the world why don't you come and gather around them and join in too okay so I'm going to do a little kind of starting prayer and then I'd love it if you could come and gather around them in a few moments time and continue that you just reminded me, when we were driving up, Mary was like, what's the Lord saying? And I had the number 60. If you're 60 this year, or it's your 60th birthday, um, the Lord bless you. I just feel like he is encouraging you. He's anointing you. I feel like in your inmost being, you're being strengthened for such an adventure. Uh, so that's a blessing for all of you for that. Thank you. Great. Yeah, so why don't you stretch out your hands towards these guys? 
Mm. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we welcome you. Yeah, thank you for your presence. And we ask that you would come now and you would fill, fill, fill. That you would come and empower. You come and renew. You come and be the very resource that they need, the breath that they breathe in and out. Father, we know that you've called them and we know that you resource those you call. You give us everything we need. And so today we ask for that gift of all that they need. We want to thank you for their family. Lord, we thank you for Eloise and for Hannah. We thank you for Joel. We thank you for Jessica. And we pray for an ease on their transition, that they travel well and safely, that they settle well. And Father, we pray for open doors. We pray for good relationships and partnerships. We pray for good friendships. And that your truth and your light and your life would be broadcast. That you'd walk across the bridge of their lives into the many people that are going to come across in Fulltonutza. Bless them, Lord. Amen. So guys, why don't you go and stand down here? And guys, if you are part of their friends or family or community, why don't you come now and gather around these guys to pray for them? That'd be good. I'm going to hand over Amy, and she's going to end our service. Yeah, so if you want to come and pray for Mary and David, you can come and do that. Um, but also, you might be here this morning, and God's maybe just doing something else in you. Um, or you just need something... Um, to kind of to give to him and someone to come and support you and stand with you in that. And so we're just going to have a time of prayer and ministry and the band are going to come and join us again um, at the front. And kind of the first thing really, which we've already talked about, is um, strongholds being broken and particularly that stronghold of fear. And just as I've come up, um, it's just been spoken again, God's going to break fear fear. Um, and so we're going to believe that today and hold on to that today. Um, so if you have fear, whether it is that financial fear um, that Nigel spoke about, about not having enough um, or struggling, um, or it could be fear in another way, um, then come and let Jesus break that this morning. And so could I invite you, if you um, are someone here this morning who would like to pray for someone, um, if you could start to make your way to the front so that we've got some people here ready to receive um, those who come, that would be really great. Um, um, and so if that is you and you would like prayer for that this morning, please do just make your way to the front. We've got loads of space to this side. Um, don't worry about what's happening over here. Um, if you just start making your way to the front, that would be great. I just want to say as well that um, as I was talking today, I did feel like the Lord was um, giving some of us real steps that he wanted us to take. And so again, I, I offered this call last week, but I want to do it again, that if you feel like you know already what God is calling you to do, the steps that he's calling you to take in this year, at the start of this 2020, this decade, if you know that God has spoken to you about that, then we would love to commission you and pray for you. If you know that God is speaking to you and saying, I want you to do this, then a really powerful way to respond to that is just to come and we'll just pray God's blessing on you. So if you know that God's speaking to you and you want to be commissioned to become who God is calling you to become, then we'd love to pray for you. And if that's you, here's a, a space that we could um, just open up. Um, and if, as Amy said, you've come with any other need and you'd love to be 
prayed for, you just want to respond, then in church, then let's leave these people hanging. Why don't we have some fellows and some ladies to come and help to pray for these folks and just to bless what God is doing. Because we are all about what the Holy Spirit is doing. It's not about what we're saying, it's all about what God is doing in our hearts. And sometimes the best way to respond to what God is doing in our hearts, sometimes the best way to respond is just to come and just to open ourselves in front of God. Maybe there's some, some worship playing and in a minute we're going to go and get our kids. I still need, I need three blokes to come and pray for some people down the front, please. So if you're a bloke and you're free and you can pray, come. That would be amazing. Thank you.